Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for eight. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. 17 seconds from game seven or from championship number six. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. Remaining. And they're putting Curry in the pick and roll trying to get him on Irving. Irving and Curry, one-on-one with Irving, puts it up. It's good! Kyrie Irving from downtown! We're sending it in, Jerome. That's for damn sure. Yo, 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 yo! What's up, everybody? And welcome to a Taproom Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Stacks on Stacks on Stacks Lats. And we are joined with a very special guest tonight. Chris Ransom from Draft Utopia. Welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Thanks for having me on, Jordan and Irvin. It's been it's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait to talk college football. We had a very exciting week one, and looking to build on the momentum that this weekend's slate of games. Hell yeah, man! And Irvin back once again. No Henny tonight, so we're gonna nah. <laughs> we're gonna be good. <laughs> yes, sir. Let's go, y'all. All right, so. Chris, we, we appreciate you for joining us. We're going to be breaking down three, or actually, how many games? Five five games on Saturday. Um, so we usually stick to the, the bigger games, the games with ranked teams versus ranked teams, the games that have some sort of significance in the college football uh, season. So I, I think we got some good games on deck this week. Week one, you know, before we get into the games, we'll kind of, we'll, I want to hear your thoughts about week one. What do you, what did you think about what happened week one? Any surprises, any letdowns? Well, there were a few games I was looking at in the three thirty time slot. Cause most of the noon games really weren't that exciting. The Georgia Oregon game was the one most fans were tuned into, but by the time Georgia led 28, three, I was like, you know what? I'm going to flip over to Houston UTSA. Cause we talked about that game on our podcast being a potential surprise matchup and it ended up being a really good game. It ended up going to overtime and it surprised a lot of people. Cause at first it looked like a defensive game. Then it ended up being more of an offensive shootout in the second half. And then Houston ended up getting hot in overtime and winning, but it was a, that felt like a classic game. It stinks. It's only a few people got to watch. Only the people that have CBS sports got to watch it, but it was a fun game to watch. And then the Cincinnati Arkansas game, Arkansas won that. And then the Ohio state Notre Dame game, Ohio state was a little bit underwhelming, but they took care of business when it mattered and Florida stepped up versus Utah. But that game between Cameron rising and Anthony Richardson, it really felt like a chess match between the dual two dual threats. It just felt like, Richardson made more big plays when it counted and rising. Just unfortunate. His receivers couldn't break routes as we discussed pre-show against Florida. Cause if they had been able to break better routes, maybe Utah comes away at the victor, but a very impressive performance by both quarterbacks, not otherworldly, but impressive debut by both of them to say the least. What do you, what were your takeaways? Irvin Jordan. I mostly agree with you. I think you hit it, the nail on the hand of the hammer on the nail. If Utah had better wide receivers, 
I like we it. Had, if Utah had better wide receivers, I think they could have blew Florida out because everybody knows Utah passing game goes through both of their NFL tight ends. They really – Solomon Ennis is a good outside target, but I don't know. I think um, what Cam Rising doesn't trust him as much because he doesn't look his way. And if you go back and look at the film, it was a couple plays that they left out on the field where the receiver was damn near had a couple, like a step and a half or a step on a cornerback, but Cam didn't hit him. He went underneath or he did a dump off or he looked for his tight ends. That could be something to watch for Utah going forward. Teams might start keying in on those tight ends, and that's going to force Cam to beat you on the outside. Yep. No, that's a good point. Before before you jumped on, Chris and I were kind of – talking about that game and, you know, I, I, I was telling him that I was kind of, you know, I thought that Utah left some things on film that are going to open them up because, I mean, let's be honest, Anthony Richardson was great on his feet, but he wasn't killing them with his arm, right? And it was legs. They're going to have to beat a team in USC who has a dual-threat quarterback who can actually throw the ball very accurately and has elite wide receiver talent, right? I think that could be a problem for Utah going forward. And, I mean, Irving, we talked about it in, in the college football season preview that, you know, losing Devin Lloyd is, like, that's huge. Yeah, that hurt him a lot because if they had Devin Lloyd, Richardson would have been running all over he, the field he like wouldn't that. wouldn't have, for sure. So, I mean, that was a huge loss. I thought Utah, you know, I, I didn't have them as, like, one of the biggest letdowns of the week, but I did think that, you know, we looked at them as a top four team coming into this game. I don't think they are a top four team in the country. No, they got to reel off some wins. And now I feel even more confident about choosing USC to beat them, especially with that defense giving up the kind of plays that they was giving up. Because they wasn't giving up those type of plays last year at all. Yep. And we'll see. We're going to talk about that game. That's going to be one of the last games we talk about, USC versus Stanford. This is the first big test for Lincoln Riley at the farm. So, we're going to get into that game, but let's hop into this first game. This is uh, the big noon kickoff game. This is going to be played at Texas. Um, this is actually only the second time these two programs have met head-to-head in the history of these two programs, which actually really surprised me. This is Alabama at Texas. The Alabama Crimson, Crimson Tide come in 1-0. and Obviously, they had a cupcake first game like they always do. They don't like to play real Power 5 programs outside of the SEC. Uh, they'll be facing Texas, who also beat, you know, UL Monroe. They're 1-0 and on the year. Right now, Bama heading into Texas, minus 20. Big, big dog. This got op- this opened at 18.5, has been bet up to Bama, minus 20. The total is 65.5. Chris, what's your thoughts on this game here on Saturday? Alabama should win. They should win convincingly, but the big question is going to be, can Texas hang with them? Because you look at the Texas offense, you've got Quinn Ewers, Bajon Robinson, Xavier Worthy, Wyoming's receiver who led them out in Western touchdowns through the transfer portal, Billingsley at tight end, and two five-star recruits, freshmen starting at left tackle and right tackle. Can this Texas team do enough to keep this cover the spread because I expect Alabama to win, but if Texas can actually play well enough to cover the spread and it's like 31 17, that's a win for Texas in my opinion. Cause I don't expect them to beat Alabama. Alabama's got Will Anderson, the best edge rusher in the country. And they got another edge rusher with that eight and a half sacks last year. So yeah, that, and was they, that dude's a dog too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, 
it, it is tough. I mean, there's a reason why they're 20 point, <laughs> 20 point dogs, you know. Um, you know, Irvin and I, when we did the college football preview about uh, the Big 12, you know, our, our biggest question mark, we both said, and we both agree, Texas probably has the most talent in the Big 12. And they have talent on the level of the Bamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States of the world. But they have a head coach deficiency in Steve Sarkeesian. And we've seen it time and time again where Steve Sarkeesian teams underperform. Is this different this time around? I mean, last year they started off good and they, I mean, it was a shit show at the end, right? That's the biggest question mark to me. Quinn Ewers, he looked all right. Their run game, they only rushed for 134 yards against UL Monroe. I do think that, you know, it's going to be a lot tougher sledding on the ground. And a freshman quarterback going against Nick Saban, I think you got to lay the 20 here. Even at minus 20, I don't love it. I love the minus 18 and a half a lot more, a three-score game, you know. But and you and you still get that wiggle room of having the the touchdown, but I I think the only bet here is taking uh, Alabama minus twenty or taking the under in this game because I don't think Texas is offensively is going to do a whole lot. Yeah, right. I could see thirty one, thirty eight, seventeen, but like um, Texas has, Alabama's got guys like Kool-Aid McKinstry, Eli Ricks and Jordan battle. I'm just not sure how Ewers is going to be able to pick those guys apart. Why don't you give us your thoughts, Irvin? Um, I feel like Texas has to not get blown off the field. Now they out there, they go out and just get destroyed. That'll make me wonder if they can actually compete with the big 12, because a good, a good amount of the big 12 teams look like they're going to have talent. They're going to be put put up points and play some decent defense. Now, Texas has athletes, but the coaches have to reel those athletes in and get them to perform, to perform one, as, a, Irvin, as a functioning team. Sorry, who's that one wide receiver that already that transferred? Uh, the one that got kicked off the team, yeah. uh, Hall. Yeah. Uh, Ajayi Hall. Yep, yep. He is – I wouldn't have recruited him anyway, especially when he got kicked off of Bama. If you can't get coached by Nick Saban, I don't think there's anybody that can really coach you if you can't get coached by him. So he was more of a me type guy. He was, you know, a rah-rah dude. He was not getting along with the coaches, cussing out his position coach multiple times. So they did show some type of culture building when they kicked him off the team to let people know that that's not going to fly at Texas anymore. And if it did happen in the past, it's not going to happen under Sark. So that was a good sign, but they did lose a four, a high four-star, five-star athlete at receiver. But they're not going to miss them because they got plenty of talent behind them. Yeah. Now, the biggest key is can the run game take some of the pressure off yours? Because at the end of the day, if they are going to beat Bama, they're going to need big games from B. John and Quinn. Now, Bama secondary didn't really get tested against Utah State. They might get tested this week because – Texas has four and five star talent at tight end and wide receiver. Now we got to see if they have a quarterback that could get them the ball against better competition. So that's going to be the biggest uh, pull and tug and uh, chess match between Alabama's secondary and the weapons that Texas have. I'm not expecting much from the run game. Whatever they can get from the run game will be a plus. B. John Robinson is uh, the consensus number one running back for most people. Guarantee first rounder, so we're gonna see what he can do against Bama. Yeah, and the and Texas is missing their starting right guard too, uh, Junior Angelau. He's out for the season now, so that's a huge blow. 
Yeah, that's not good. Mm-hmm. On an already young offensive line that's starting two freshmen. Yep, and he was he was one of the only guys on that line that had experience starting last year. So that could be – that's something to look at in this game. That could be a huge problem, you know what I mean? Al, I think Alabama's most experienced D linemen are 34 left end. I, I don't remember his last name. I think it was Byron something, but he's a real – he's a senior, I think. So that definitely helps Alabama out. Yeah. Yep, and – you know, Nick Saban's their coach. <laughs> that too. He just reloads in the front seven. It's now, another game. thing you got to look at, too, I don't really know too much about Texas secondary. I know they're talented, but Bama receivers didn't really get that much separation week one against Utah State. Like, Bryce didn't really have that many downfield shots uh, that game. He had a couple, but that's another thing to keep your eye on. Is Bama still the same on the outside, outside of Jermaine Burton? Because we know that dude has four three speed, and he was he helped Georgia win a national championship last year. Yeah, I mean they rushed for a two hundred seventy eight yards last yeah, year. So, so when you do that, <laughs> so it makes things a lot easier. Yeah, um, made it a whole lot easier. Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean they lost a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. I mean that was something we highlighted too. But you know they always seem to reload. I mean it's good this. I think both teams have a lot of question marks, but I, I'd rather go into a game having a question mark about wide receivers than I do about having a question mark about a quarterback. You know what I mean? I agree. He's a young quarterback, and yeah. you know, facing Nick Saban, I think that could be tough sledding. What do you yeah, think about outside the? Of, sorry, what, what do you guys think about the total of sixty-five and a half? Or do you think there's a play on that? Um, if Bama scores forty or fifty, maybe. But other than that, I would bet the under, honestly. What do you think, Chris? You think you said thirty-one seventeen is your prediction? I think that I'm thinking the under. Only way the over would happen is if Alabama scored forty points and Texas scored at twenty or more. I I I would say the odds of that happening aren't great. It's not impossible, but I just don't think the odds of that happening are great. And it's possible that Alabama was saving some of those deep passing looks for this game. They didn't want to tip Good their point. hand and use too many of those against Utah State, a opponent they knew they were going to beat pretty handily. Whereas Texas, they can go with more of those deep throws. And if Texas isn't expecting it, it'll work in their favor offensively. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I agree. So I think we're all kind of in in agreement on this game. So let's move over to the next game. This is a, a game that Chris is actually going to be attending. Um this is, I forget, the, there's a new name of this stadium, so I'm not going to try to name it, but it's the former Heinz Field. The Tennessee Volunteers are going to be heading into Pittsburgh to face the Pittsburgh Pirates. Panthers, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Nutting appreciates the shout-out. <laughs> Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, right now, Tennessee on the road, minus six favorites. Uh, Pitt plus six. The total sixty-six and a half, which I think is a pretty high total for this game. Um, Chris, what do you think about this game? I mean, you're, you're going and you're pretty, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of offense in this game. And when I say a lot of offense, I think both teams are going to be scoring in the thirties. I, I, I'm leaning Tennessee 38, 31, but I think this is going to be a high scoring type of game because you look at Tennessee's offense, they've got three marquee players. The first is quarterback Hendon Hooker. Second is wide receiver Cedric Tillman, and the third is left tackle Darnell Wright, who I've seen mocked in the first round of some mock drafts. I'm not that high on him, but I have seen him mocked that high. And if Tennessee goes 10-2, and two, I would argue at least two of those three players will get pushed into the first round conversation. They'll probably have to prove themselves in their bowl game and the senior bowl, but 
they'll at least be in the conversation, assuming they stay healthy and avoid injuries. But that this is a big game for Pitt, too. They've got their entire offensive line back. They've got Slovis and Tennessee. Even though they have one of the better outside linebackers in the country, they're a team that when Jeremy, Jeremy Banks is one of the better right outside linebackers at the weak side, but even though they have him, Tennessee did lose a lot, take Taylor to the NFL draft, and they have one of the more suspect pass defenses, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Slovis throw for 300 yards on this team. So I, I'm going 38-31 Tennessee, but I expect a lot of high-powered scoring by both teams. Um, Irv, what do you think about this game? Yeah, I agree with Chris. It's going to be a lot of offense. Whatever defense could have the most stops or cause a turnover that leads to points, that could be that could swing the game in that team's favor. But um, looking at week one, uh, Pitt's secondary did lose two guys to the NFL, but they got to do something about that corner. I think he's on the left side. He was getting cooked against uh, West Virginia. And uh, Tennessee has better wide receivers in West Virginia, so he has to play a lot better. If he doesn't, that's going to – Hendon Hooker probably will key in on him and just continue to go that way. Whatever the receiver they put on that side will get a lot of targets. Um, I think Tennessee has to do more with the tight end, open up more of the field because you don't just want to depend on your receivers outside, even though they look damn good against uh, – Ball State. Ball State, but this is a better. You're gonna be facing a better defense, more athletes. I just hope that Pittsburgh makes some adjustments from week one. If not, they could get shredded by Hendon Hooker because, like Chris said, he looks like a first round QB. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I I do kind of worry though, um, Chris. You mentioned Pitt's offensive line. That was supposed to be the strength of their team, dude. They kind of got pushed around by West Virginia at times in that game. They only rushed the ball for seventy six yards. I think they're going to have to be able to rush the ball against Tennessee to to compete in this game. I do think that it is going to be a high scoring game. I do like I do lean the over in this game, um, but I also I, I think Tennessee is a better team. I think Tennessee is going to win this game uh, by ten or more. I think it's going to be a two possession game, so I would lean Tennessee minus the six points or five and a half, wherever you can get it at. I would still take it. I agree with that, but I'd like to add the tennis, the pit edge rushers. If Pitt's going to win this game, they're going to have to win this game with their defensive line. They're going to have to get some pressure on Hooker, and they're going to have to make some stops to take some pressure off the secondary because I think that's the only way Narduzzi's squad can steal this game from the SEC. Yep, I agree. And Chris, we were talking before we went on. On that, we were both kind of saying that Tennessee, you know, they have a good opportunity to go ten and two and kind of maybe even upset Alabama, you know, at home and really make a push for that SEC East title. And, but this is a game they have to win if that, if that's going to be the case. So really looking forward to this one on Saturday. I hope you enjoy it out there. I heard you're going to be wearing a, a Rocky top orange shirt. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to wear a pit shirt or a Rocky top shirt. It's tough to say. I mean, I live in Pittsburgh, but my dad's alma mater is Tennessee. I feel like my only way I can make my dad proud is if I wear a Rocky top shirt. It's really, <laughs> it's really tough to say what, what type of shirt I should bring to Act Reserve Stadium. I, I don't like that they took out the ketchup bottles and basically replaced <laughs> the stadium with an insurance logo, but that's that's <laughs> Act Reserve Stadium, the new home of the Pitt Panthers and Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, man. Gotta love it. Good stuff. 
All right, let's talk about this uh, next game. So I think we all pretty much agree on this one. Uh, let's talk about the Kentucky Wildcats. They'll be heading into Florida Field, the Gator Stadium, the Swamp, to face the Florida Gators. Um, right now, Florida minus six, coming off a big win against Utah, which keep that in mind, big win off, off of last week. Total right now, 52 and a half. What's your guys' thoughts on this game? Chris, you want to go first? Irvin? Why don't we start with Irvin? I'll, I'll save my thought. Uh, this game is probably going to come down to the QBs, whoever has the better game. Now, both teams' running backs do need to do more because neither team's running backs did pretty much anything in their first games. Um, I would like to see Florida wide receivers be a bit more productive on the outside, too, instead of just uh, Richardson throwing to somebody's open while he's scrambling and not being able to sit in the pocket and make throws from the pocket. Because Utah did have him under some a good amount of pressure, but he wasn't able to, you know, just stand there and make throws from the pocket. I think he only did it like three or like four or five times that I can recall. Um, Will Levi is looking like a – a lot of teams have him really high on their draft board. Most some mocks have him in the top five as a, or top top five or top ten as a first round pick. So this is going to be his real first test of the season because he's going up against a traditionally good secondary and a team that puts out plenty of um, back end athletes in the NFL. So I think it's going to come down to the run game. Definitely, whatever team has a better run game and can. Uh, Kentucky contain Anthony Richardson. If you let him get outside the pocket and make plays with his legs, he's deadly because he has the arm to make throws on the run and he could get you with those throws when receivers break off routes and he's going to put it right on them. And then they, for the most part, they was catching those balls against Utah. Yeah. Chris? Those are some fantastic points, Irvin, with uh, Will Levi and Anthony Richardson. I think if Kentucky's going to win this game, it's going to be through the ground, as you stated. Chris Rodriguez Jr., the starting running back for Kentucky, he is going to have to be the man in this game because you know Levi and Henderson can both sling it. And I think Christopher Rodriguez is suspended. If he's suspended, I honestly not sure how Kentucky can win this game because that Florida doesn't have Pierce, Kentucky doesn't have Rodriguez. Both running games are going to have to step up, but Florida's got a lot of defensive talent. Brenton Cox Jr. Um, they've got a really garble. They've, they've got a Gerbel, a really good defensive lineman. They've got Ventrell Miller at inside linebacker. Jason Marshall could be a top five pick in the 2024 NFL draft. I've yeah, seen him mocked in the suspended. top five of 2024 mocks. And they've also got Trey Dean the third. So Florida's got a re- lot of really good pieces on defense, despite losing Kyrie Elam to the Buffalo Bills, who we're going to see tomorrow night in the NFL debut. So Christopher Rodriguez is suspended for this game. Okay. For the DUI he got back in May. And also Rashawn Lewis is out. He's suspended too. So they're down at their third string running back. Rashawn Lewis is one of their wide receivers. But, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're but they lost Wandale Robinson to the draft yeah. to the Giants' second-round pick. So, Lewis, Robinson, I think Florida's secondary is going to have a few picks on Levi. I had a third-round grade on Levi, but, you know, there are people that like Levi. I mean, I watched nine games of his film, but he can improve. He, if he continues to build on the momentum this season, I think people are going to forget about what he did last year, and they're just going to look at what he's doing in his draft year because he led Kentucky to a 6-0 start a year ago. It's not like this kid can't play. We just haven't seen him shine. 
without Robinson and Rodriguez yet. Yep. I think this could be a closer game than – I think it could be similar to Utah and Florida, but lower scoring. And I think that's the only way Kentucky has a chance. Like, this game has to be played, like, you know, 24 to 21 type game. Like, that's how it's going to – that's how I think this game needs to play out in Kentucky's favor. Kentucky does have the defense to do it. I do. I think they also have the athletes to shut Anthony uh, Richardson down on the, on the feet and really make him throw the ball, which should be something interesting – Actually, uh, I mean, I don't have a play on this game. I don't love either side, but I would take Kentucky with the points if you put a gun to my head, and I would lean the under in this game. So I do think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I agree with that, but if Kentucky's going to win, I think they have their linebackers have to step up because they did lose Pascal, they did lose some D linemen, but they have a senior middle linebacker, and I think their weak side linebacker box he picked off Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. Maybe that's not his exact name, but I know one of their linebackers picked off Petrus in the Citrus Bowl, and it was the game winning interception. To a lot of people pick off Petrus. <laughs> that's not really an accomplishment considering he had a 1.1 quarterback rating 123rd out of 131 quarterbacks yeah that was pretty bad against uh against <laughs> south dakota state S- south dakota state man. It was 7-3 they got two safeties after taking a three enough after taking a three nothing lead and it was tied 3-3 they won the game with two safeties yeah. I mean, that is, Iowa defense is going to be good, but yeah. They, yeah, that dude is legit terrible. Yeah, he's <laughs> – me and Irvin had a debate on who's worse, him or Graham Mertz, but I think Mertz definitely might be a lot better. Yeah, I think Mertz is better than that guy. Oh, man, that's uh, some ugly stuff. All right, let's move into, uh, let's move into this next game, uh, USC versus Stanford. Um, this game is being played at the uh, Stanford Stadium, the farm. USC is 1-0 heading into Stanford, who is also 1-0. This is a battle of two good quarterbacks here, two underrated quarterbacks. Well, Caleb Williams might not be underrated, but Tanner McKee is definitely underrated. Um, Right now, USC is minus 9 and Stanford plus 9. They're getting 9 points at home. Uh, The over-under is 67.5. This game actually opened at 13. It's been bet down, so a lot of money has come in on Stanford. The uh, total is 67.5. Chris, what do you think about this game before I get to Irving? Because I know, you know, Irving. I'm going to, I think Stanford's got a chance. Now, to be fair, USC should win this game because Stanford is one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 at defending against the run. The reason I think Stanford has a chance is, A, historically speaking, they've had USC's number. B, if Tanner McKee can win the turnover battle against Caleb Williams, they have a chance, 10 returning starters. And see, Caillou Blue Kelly, the quarterback on Stanford that I actually mocked in the second round of my three-round mock draft, he had a phenomenal game against Drake London. Now, is he consistent enough to be a first-round corner? I don't think so. But against USC, he was phenomenal. He was one of the few corners that actually managed to neutralize Drake London last year. Maybe the only corner that actually was able to limit what he could do before his injury. And now he's going to get Jordan Addison. He's going to get a different receiving core. And the USC is going to have film on him, but they're not, he's not going to have as much film or intel on the guys coming in through the transfer portal. So I am really interested to see if Addison can separate himself from the other receivers in this draft. He's got an opportunity to do that with a big game against Caillou Blue Kelly because Keyshawn Bout, Bout was pouting in the Florida State game. Jackson <laughs> Smith, the Jigba, got laid out by Brandon Joseph and only came in for a few other plays after that. So wide receiver one and wide receiver two are coming off bad weeks. 
Addison, the consensus wide receiver three, has a chance to cement himself as a wide receiver one with a big week this week against Stanford. What do you think, Irv? How yeah, you I agree with most, with most of what Chris said. The only caveat that uh, Chris forgot to bring up is USC is coached by Lincoln Riley now and not Clay Helton. So that's going to be the biggest difference. Let's go, y'all. I think Stanford is probably – they're going to try to spread USC out and get it, get the ball to those big receivers and those one-on-ones. USC has got to win more of those than they lose. They got to win some of those 50-50 balls. Um Stanford didn't really run the, outside of that big run that EJ Smith had against Colgate. They wasn't really running the ball that really well. Yep. So I don't think their run game is going to be that good to the point where they can keep the ball away from USC. They're going to have to score points. And I mean, by points, they're going to have to score touchdowns to keep up with this offense because Lincoln Riley is full go. He plans on scoring 40 to 50 points a game. And I don't think any Pac-12 defense is built to stop them. Um, more so much that they don't get to that point total. Stanford will hang with them, but I think USC definitely covers and wins the game. But it could get ugly if Stanford can't score touchdowns. If they got to settle for field goals, this game could get out of hand pretty fast. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from Tanner McKee. He's super underrated. He has a lot of talent. The ball jumps off his arm. He makes sound decisions. He doesn't just have hella turnovers. So USC will have to be on their game because he has potential to shred pretty much anybody because that's how good he is. So if the defense comes and plays the way they played in the second half, honestly, I think this game could get ugly for Stanford because their O-line is not that good. They got to build that O-line back up to what it was in the previous years under David Shaw. So I think the first half it'll be competitive, but after that, I think it get it can get it can get ugly at the farm. I think that. The one thing that I that I think about this game, kind of a, where you guys didn't touch on, because I agree with like everything you guys said, all the points, um, is that you know USC's defensive line hasn't really been tested against Rice, right? And for Stanford to win this game, they're going to need to tire out the defensive line. They're going to have to be able to run the ball. If they can't run the ball and keep USC's offense off the off the field, I don't think there's a chance in this game. I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with them like you said Irving I don't think they're going to be be able to keep up with scoring but that's also not how Stanford plays anymore with Stanford with the with McKee so it's like it's kind of like they have to adjust the whole way they play for this game because they cannot play into USC's hands offensively if this becomes a a 40 point game of a you know a shootout USC is going to win this game they just have too much depth on offense they have too many athletes on offense they can just come at you in waves they have to Stanford has to keep that offense off the field and I don't know if they're going to be able to do that because they're going to have to be aggressive they're going to have to take chances to win this game I think this one could get ugly I think and this is a big game for for LR or this is a you know his first test Chris you had you did mention it Stanford has had USC's number and every time we think USC is back Stanford puts them in the ground yeah, yep. they 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 ended the Clay Helton there. They beat the shit out of USA at the Coliseum last year. Yep. Yeah, and even though Stanford's got that really good corner and Caillou Blue Kelly, the there's two corners that can limit Addison to 100 yards: Clark Phillips and Caillou Blue Kelly. But USC's so deep at receiver. They have a uh, they got Mario Will 
Oliams from Oklahoma. They got Garrett, they got their lot two other receivers not named Drake London back. Their number five receiver is Jerry Rice's kid who transferred from Colorado. <laughs> they are so deep at wide receiver. We've said in the summer that this group might be deeper than Alabama or Ohio State at wide receiver. There's just that is. much depth on this USC Trojan squad. So yep. And Stanford was bottom in the Pac-12 in run defense and stopping the run. And USC now has Stanford starting running back and Travis Dye from Oregon. They have two running backs, not just one. And they might rotate those guys and try to wear Stanford down by running the ball. And that's probably the approach I'd take if I were Lincoln Riley in this scenario. And now they got a freshman that can take it 80. (laughs) Ray League Brown, so just pick your poison. Yeah, the, but is the he one, a freshman, Irvin? A true freshman? He he's a true, true freshman. freshman. The Modern only day high school. The one thing that USC USC does have depth offensively, but they don't have depth defensively, which is why it's important for Stanford to wear USC's defense down. That's the only way they're going to be able to win this game, in my opinion. It's not about what USC does offensively. USC is going to put up points, and honestly, Lincoln Riley. A lot of people don't know this because they just think air raid. He likes to throw the ball, but he always has a good run, a rushing attack. And he yeah, always wants never, to establish the run. The least the he's averaged over 170 yards a game in his career. The, the worst year he had was I think it was a couple years ago when he only averaged like 150, 155 a game. But that's yeah. still I think that was last year. Yeah, that's still a lot of rushing yards. So and he prides himself on running that counter, power football. He's not off in this. That's what separates him from other air raid coaches. Is he believes in first and running the ball and doing everything off of that. Now, the one thing Stanford do got to watch out too is they have a freshman edge guy in David Bailey, who is pretty good. He was a high four-star, borderline five-star guy, but he's going to probably have to drop into coverage because they're probably going to try to take advantage of him with the tight end because USC finally is using the tight end in their offense now. Yep. So we got to watch can those linebackers and those safeties contain USC two tight ends, which they didn't use much in the Rice game. I think that's for a reason because I think Lincoln's going to try to attack the middle of that defense with the tight ends because they struggled. They struggled all last year in the middle of the field, and that's one thing USC couldn't exploit last year. I think they're going to be able to exploit it this year. Yep, agreed. All right, so uh, Chris, are are you on Stanford to cover or are you on USC? I'm leaning towards Stanford covering, but USC should win this game. Yeah. But it really w- wouldn't surprise me. Either outcome wouldn't surprise me. Um, Irvin, what do you think? Uh, I got USC winning 42-17 or 38-20, like 20, that type of game. Yeah. Uh, if I if taking the best bet from this game, I think I would lean the under 67.5. I don't think Stanford's yeah. going to be able to score that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do also like USC minus nine. I'm I'm hoping this gets bet down a little bit to like minus eight or seven and a half. Then I'll take it. Hoping that's a good number. Nine, not a great number. Bet numbers, not teams. All right, let's move into uh, this last game. We're going to talk about the Baylor Bears uh, coming off of a Big Twelve championship last year. They will be heading into BYU to face the Cougars in Utah. Right now, Baylor plus three. Dogs, BYU minus three, 53 and a half is the total. Chris, what do you think about this game? Can Dave Aranda go back home and win it? This is going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be in the trenches. I, I think the left tackle matchup is going to be the matchup to watch. Baylor's got Connor Galvin, 
But BYU's got a blind side that can block too, and Blake Freeland, and both guys are draft eligible this year. And I've seen Freeland go in the first three rounds. I've seen Garland go as high as the first round. So I think this is a big game for both of the left tackles for Baylor and BYU. I think whichever left tackle plays better, that's going to be who wins. But I'd give BYU the slight edge because they have a quarterback that can throw the ball in Jaron Hall who reminds me of Desmond Ritter from a leadership standpoint. He reminds me a little bit of Ritter, but he's got that arm that Wilson had at BYU, which is quite a formidable combination at the QB position. I'm surprised you don't like uh, Blake Shapin. I do like Baylor. I'm just not familiar with him. And Baylor's got a really good middle linebacker who can make this offense one-dimensional. So we'll see what happens. I I could see this game going either way, but I think this is going to be a fun game because BYU is a tough team to beat on the road. Yeah, real tough. That altitude, yeah. Yeah, no, they are. That's a tough – that is a tough place to play. Um, What do you think, Irving? Yeah, I agree with – I think, um, like Chris said, I think it's going to come down to defense and running game, but whatever quarterback does – have makes the better decisions and the better plays. I think that's who wins because, like he said, Hall is a damn good quarterback. I liked what I saw from him last week, and that arm is that arm is nice, and he's accurate with the ball too, and he can beat you from the pocket. And his legs are just a plus. Now he did have a one bad interception, but I think he'll learn from that. Uh, I like BYU, man. The home foot advantage at, uh, in Provo is real. I've seen USC go there and get pretty much. I think we was like a 10-point favorite and lost that game in overtime. So they do have a true home field advantage. I like their defense. I like what they got on the outside. I like the pass rush, too. They don't have NFL-type pass rushes, but they do have solid pass rushes that can get the job done on the college level. So this is going to be a big test for, for Baylor, man. If Baylor can pull this off, I think they can um, show that they're the top team right now to beat in the Big 12. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think this is, uh, you know, Baylor did lose a lot of good players last year. Um, and Blake Shapin, I think, Chris, you have a point. Like, he, there was a lot of question marks about him. I know they faced Albany, but I'm not going to lie, dude. I didn't expect them to put up 69 points against anybody. So I was uh, I was kind of, you know, like taken aback by how well the offense did play. And, yes, I know it is Albany. But this is a bigger test. And going into BYU is a very difficult place to play. Blake Shapin is he's nails, bro. That kid got balls of steel, dude. So, you know, the drive he put together to in against the Oklahoma game in the Big 12 championship was huge. I mean, this team totally turned around once he became the quarterback. He might not have the greatest talent in the world, but he's a winner. And I think that could be something to look for in this game. I am gonna take BYU. I do agree with everything you guys said about Hall, the defense, the talent. I think they're a little bit more talented than Baylor, but if Baylor wins this game, man, they might they might be the best team hands down in the Big Twelve because I think BYU is a is a phenomenal opponent and play and winning a game like this at BYU, huge, huge. I agree. So this 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 is a game that I'm really looking forward to, and it sucks because it's on at the same time as the USC game. So yeah. I'm gonna be watching this game and USC, and uh, it's gonna be tough, but you know we're gonna pull through it because. That's what we do. All right. Let's go, y'all. Let's get some best bets for uh, for this weekend. 
Uh, so of all the games we talked about, give me at least one bet that you like, Chris. I like Tennessee minus six and a half. I think that is the safest bet of all the games. And I'm sorry to do this to my hometown city. It's just, <laughs> I think Tennessee just has a, I think Tennessee's one of the safer plays this week with such a low point spread to number. And I think it's going to be a shootout of a game. It's going to be a lot of fun though. Yep. Irving, what do you think? I'm going to go, my best bet is, I'm going to go, I'm upset the Trump card a little bit. I'm going to take Baylor with the points plus three at home versus me. I'm taking road. BYU with the points. Minus, yeah, plus three. BYU yeah. plus three. Um, Irvin, I'm with you, dude. I, I think my favorite bet of this weekend is BYU plus the three points. Um, I would be first, and then I would take Tennessee second. I think I agree with both of you guys. I like both those bets. I'm with it. Let's make this money. Let's get these people to the window. Cash these it. tickets. Let's go. Before we get out of here, Chris, since you do... Everybody, um, for those that aren't aware, Chris is from DraftUtopia.com. He literally mocks, like, every fucking draft imaginable. NHL, MLB, MLS, NBA, NFL. What else do you do, Chris? What other sports? That that Those are the five main ones. And I've got a 2023 NFL and MLS mock draft up. I did a three-round mock last week, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do 101 picks. I'm going to do the comp picks, too. I'm going to go the extra mile because I've done a little bit more research on this class. And I think it's a really strong QB draft. That's why I felt I had a moral responsibility to give back to the community and give back to my readers by really studying this class pretty extensively. So. Nice. You know, it's going to be a fun week two of evaluations. Hell yeah. And you can find him on Twitter at Draft Utopia. You can go to www.draftutopia.com. You can find all, everything there, all his mock drafts. My man puts in a ton of fucking work. So, um, you know, always appreciative of the stuff you put out, Chris, especially the film cut, cuts you do. I always love uh, watching those on YouTube, man. I always appreciate yeah, those. Post, watch that one he posted tonight about CJ Stroud. He left a lot to be desired on that field. Yeah. Notre Dame. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going I'm to watch that. He, he was literally telling me he just finished it up as we were, like, getting ready to go on. I was like, okay. Yeah, I finished up the recordings this afternoon, but I uploaded all six of them to YouTube, like, two hours before we went live and I actually managed to get enough time to promote all six of them tonight. So tomorrow it'll be NFL week one predictions on draft Utopia's Facebook page, facebook.com slash draft And tonight you can just relax, pull up a cup of coffee or some beer and you can watch hey. some, uh, some game film. Some agua. <laughs> nice. Before you go to sleep. Hell yeah, man. We appreciate you, Chris. Um, before we get out of here, what what players should people be aware of for this NFL draft that may not be household names right now, but may be towards the end of the season? I do like Skinner. I think he's one of the sleepers in the draft. I told you about him last week. Yep. I gave him an A grade for man and zone coverage. He fell the third round. I, I've seen him mock. One mock draft actually put him on the Buffalo Bills in the late first round. Mm. Uh, while that might be a reach at this point, I can't blame the person that did that because I've done a podcast with them and I can see their opinion and their perspective on that situation. And uh, offensively, a dark horse I like in the third round of the draft. I'm a big believer in um, 
I think Grayson McCall could be a day two steal on the right team. He's a good game manager. I think he's going to be one of the better value picks in the draft. And I do like South Dakota State starting tight end, even though they can only put up three points on <laughs> Iowa. I think South Dakota State starting tight end might be their best tight end since Dallas Goder. And he's my top FCS prospect on the offensive side of the ball. It's high praise right there. Dallas Goder had himself a good career. He's still playing. Yeah. Um, man, appreciate you, Chris. Thank you for coming on. I know it's laid out in Pittsburgh, dude. It's over 1 a.m., so I'm going to get you out of here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Again, make sure to go to draftutopia.com. Check out all of Chris's work. I'm telling you, this dude, it, like, doesn't even sleep. All he does is work. And I, <laughs> I appreciate guys like that, man. I appreciate you, Chris. So, uh, for Swerve and Irving, for Chris Ransom, I'm Jordan Stacks on Stacks on Stacks, lads. Make sure to go to devour.com or download the Devour app straight to your mobile device and use promo code TAPROOM for $10 off your first purchase of $25 or more. We're going to be out of here. We'll be back Sunday uh, to recap NFL. And then Irvin and I will be back Monday night. We will be talking a lot of college football recap and really diving into the week. Y'all have a very blessed weekend. Enjoy a busy, busy weekend of sports, man. We got a lot going on. Y'all have a blessed night. Thank you. Thank you.